Ricky Green, the fastest of them all, talks 1984, his all-star year, and the very first season that the Jazz made the playoffs. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, equal housing lender. Jazz Pistons was for the sickos. For you listening to the podcast right now, for the NBA Twitter people who are sickos who watch basketball and league pass, it was for all of you. Own window, 5 o'clock, mountain time, no other games were going up against it, and there was the intrigue of, would Detroit stop their streak? 24 games in a row lost. Would the Jazz be on the other side of that? And I understand if you were a little nervous going in. I candidly could not see it. And while it was a close game in the fourth quarter, they got it bound to four, I never thought that Detroit would completely take over. Could be just me watching the game, whatever. But I just couldn't see it. You look at them and they have so many lapses defensively, poor closeouts, no angles on screens. They die on those. It's just not good vibes. They're bad vibes. And they need to figure it out because Monty Williams is a $13 million a year coach. I don't think of him as a development guy. He's probably more suited to a contender. But when the owner goes out and enables somebody, that's what you get. And they have so many young players. Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, Killian Hayes, James Wiseman, Isaiah Stewart, Jalen Duran. Duran didn't play last night, but still. They have so many young players that, as Monty's trying to win games, trying to do the best to get wins, it doesn't necessarily line up with getting everybody going in the right development track. Who knows? Like They might turn it around, and they have to figure out what the roster is going to look like post-trade deadline because they just need to move players to even it out and allow young players to get more opportunities. Free Boyan. I think we can all agree with that. But right now, it doesn't look right. And the Jazz didn't look like they would let go of the rope. They had it. I didn't see a team that was nervous of losing and ending their streak. I saw a team that was still going out there, and the players that need to step up, stepped up. Kelly Olenek had his season high, was still doing the Kelly Olenek things where he's pump faking at the three-point line, pass faking, getting off his passes that are a little risky. He still had like four turnovers, so it's not like he's tight in that game. Chris Dunn stepped up into the starting lineup, limited his turnovers, had 10 assists. That's huge. They gritted out a win against a very bad team when they were shorthanded. And you saw good moments from Taylor Hendricks. This had that as well. Taylor might not be in the rotation day-to-day, but as an experience of staying ready, being available... He did that. 
He got an offensive rebound, kick out to Ochai, stayed active, tried to make something off the dribble. He showed a little bit of his offensive package when he was attacking closeouts. Should have gone to the free throw line, but they didn't call a foul. Taylor Hendricks showed up, had good minutes, and the Jazz won the game. That's what they need to do against a very bad Detroit team. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. Ricky Green, he was on a Jazz team that lost 18 in a row, so maybe he knows what Detroit's feeling, but he also was around for the start of the turn for the Jazz. They went from a team that would have their fans show up with bags on their heads to a team that would go to the playoffs every year. And Ricky Green's a great story and indicative of Jazz history. You want to learn more about the team that he sculpted and started, that 84 team with heart? Listen to the note. It's right here on this feed. It's on utahjazz.com. You think about Ricky Green. He, he, at the point of his career when he joined Utah, was bounced out of the league. He was in the CBA. That era's version of the G League. He was playing for the Billings Volcanoes after that franchise moved from Hawaii. And he was part of the resurgence for the Jazz. Frank scouts him, scouts his teammate Jeff Wilkins. He trades for John Drew, who's an underrated player of the 80s for the Jazz. He was a six-man scorer off the bench, would take shots, make shots. Huge part of the organization. But you had John Drew, you had Frank Layden draft Mark Eaton, Daryl Griffith, Thurl Bailey, and turn the Jazz into a winner. It's crazy. Ricky Green started with a coach who wanted to play very deliberate, execution base, Tom Nasalki. Then Frank Layden comes in here, and the Jazz start running and gunning. And it all starts with Ricky Green. It culminates in 1984 All-Star appearance, which also happened to be first year for the playoffs. Let him talk about it. Here he is, Ricky Green on Round Ball Roundup on Utah Jazz. Billings, Montana, of all places. Frank Layden goes out to see you. What was that like? Yeah, what was that like? Uh, Well, didn't expect to see Frank. You know, we had a game. uh, Previous to that, uh, we played in Hawaii the year before. That was pretty cool for a whole year. uh, Pretty different to go to Billings. (laughs) So they say we was moving to Billings, Montana. We was like, wow, from Hawaii to Billings. So... Got to Billings, different place, you know, slow, you know. Uh, but uh, we were playing. Uh, we had a pretty good team. Jeff Wilkins was there. Uh, we had Bobby Wilson, some other guys. But anyway, we had a pretty good team. We, were, I guess we were winning that year. And uh, Frank came to watch, you know. And I remember... I had a pretty good game, and Frank was asking me. He said, "Why thinking why I wasn't playing in the NBA?" And um, 
at the game, he asked me, he said, could I give him a ride back to his hotel? So I said, sure. So he's in the car talking and I, he asked me, do I have an agent? And I said, yeah, I have an agent, it's George Andrews. So uh, he said, I'm gonna be giving him a call. So I didn't think he was gonna call him that soon, but the very next day, uh, my agent called and said, uh, Utah Jazz is bringing you in. And I said, wow, okay. Me and Jeff Wilkins. Yep. So we had a late night, late night flight out. And as we was leaving Billings, I told Jeff, you know, I had my car there and everything. I left all, just packed a bag and just we got on the plane. And I was looking out the window and I, know, I don't know if Jeff remember this. I said, I'm not coming back here no more. He started laughing. I said, man, I'm not coming back to Billings no more, man. I'll make the best of this opportunity. And kind of worked out for me. What was the CBA like at that time? Because the NBA was still a little bit in flux before Bird and Magic make it a, right. a big commercial thing. But the CBA had to be different. Had it been different going from Hawaii to Billings. Right. What, what was that? Well, it's, it's like a league. You just everybody wanted to move, take it to the next level. You know, it was a, it's a, it was a league that you can work on your, uh, you know, work on the things you need to work on. You know, as far as to try to make it back. Uh, uh, I think I might have played like about. I didn't play that many games in buildings before Frank came. I think. I remember the exact date, I think it was December 2nd. <laughs> but uh might have played about four or five games and we had a pretty good team. So, you know, it was a it was a league, you had to ride the bus and you know, uh, I remember we had to ride, I knew the kind of owner, he kind of kind of liked me a little bit. So he let me fly in his, he had a uh, like a six seater plane. That was kind of scary. Oh, wow. but he, he took me on his plane a couple of times to the game, you know. And uh, we had to ride buses through the mountains and stuff like that. It was kind of tough, you know. But, you know, in order to get back, you had to, you know, go through those uh, trials and tribulations to get back. So that's why when I got on that plane, I said, I'm, I'm not, not coming, coming back yet. I'm not coming back. <laughs> so uh, it was tough, but it, it was a way for me to get back, you know. So I made the best of it. Because it seems like, if you're looking for a modern comparison, it's like the G League. Right. It really tests how much you love basketball. Right. If you're going to come back, this is the way to do it. Commit yourself to the game, and mm -hmm. you'll make it back to the NBA. Where were you in that point of your career? What What led to you being in the CBA? Well, I was early. It was early in my career because I think uh, my rookie only had I was only like 25, maybe 24, or so. You know, I was pretty young, you know. I, I knew I could play. I knew I could be in that league because over the summers, um, I played a summer league in Chicago. I played against all the guys, Maurice Cheeks. And, and you're a pros. Chicago legend. You know. People know you. People, people know, know me you at in all. Chicago. So I would hold my own, and it was just a matter of just getting with the right team, you know. It's just trying to navigate to the right place. I knew I belonged. It's just, am I going to get there, you know, so – and you got there. Yeah. You got yeah. there, not only yourself, but Jeff Wilkins. What did it mean to you that not only you were going, but a teammate of yours? I think it was good because I think when you go to a new place, you got somebody else that 
taking the same course you take it. And we had to walk the same walk and it was, it was a lot of comfortability being with somebody that you know, going to a new place. So I think we kind of kind of helped each other out, you know, filter our way and make it with the jazz. What were those early years like? Because you, much like Daryl, can tell the story of this team was losing uh-huh. and then they got better. They mm-hmm. added talent around mm-hmm. and eventually this is a playoff team. Well, um, it was difficult at first, you know, like I was talking earlier. Uh, I think we had like an 18 game losing streak. You know, fans was wearing bags on their head with the eyes cut out, born. Frank came in and uh, he just said, we're just going to play a whole different style of game, style of basketball. The other game wasn't working, walked the ball up the floor. That wasn't working, so he just changed the whole system. And got to give Frank a lot of credit. The vision that he saw, you know, and take it to the next level after us, so, you know. Because the previous coach was Tom Nisalki, mm-hmm. who was very deliberate in the way that he wanted you guys to run your offense. And that probably, with somebody who's nicknamed the fastest of them all, <laughs> I feel like that, that goes against yeah, that. Yeah. Tom was a good coach for what he, yeah. you know, like, yeah. you know. But, you know, it wasn't something that I liked doing, you know, walking about the floor. I remember some incidents, not some incidents, sometimes he would call me in the office. He would say, <clears throat> he said, we're playing the Lakers tonight. He said, uh, I want you to walk the ball up the floor. He said, we're not going to run. We're just going to walk. I said, walk it every time? <laughs> he said, yeah, we're going to walk the floor because we can stay in the game. And I want you to get it to AD. <laughs> so, I mean, that's what's the style. So, you know, I, I wanted to be a pro player, so I had to navigate. But Frank came in and just – rearranged that style because that style wasn't working with the you know that style wasn't working and that transition game running gun that's where you shined that's where it allowed you to do what you were able to do and for other guys to also fill in well we had a great scoring adrian yep. we had a great scoring griffin you know uh i played that way at michigan you know everything was you know it's hard to win when you got to play five on five, you know what I mean? So, you know, the best way to play is to me that the talent that he had was to create, you know, easy opportunities. And that's what he stressed in us, you know, the, the 302s, the two on ones, things of that nature. So that's what kind of got the jazz off to a good start. Was it difficult handling all that struggles early because? Daryl's talked about this being with a national championship team mm-hmm. with Louisville. You're on a Michigan team right. that played against an undefeated Indiana mm-hmm. team, right? Mm-hmm. It had to have been hard to go through what you went through in those early years where you're not really seeing the results on the floor. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, <clears throat> like, I, I played Michigan. We ran and had it, you know, had fun playing. That way of playing wasn't no fun, you know. You know, you, you're playing the slowdown game, you're losing. You know, it, it, it was just hard to come and play. But, you know, we're pros. You know, we had to do what we had to do. But Frank came along, man. He put a smile on everybody's face. He came to the locker room and said, no plays today. <laughs> so 
Hey, a lot of credit. I can only imagine the looks on AD's face, Daryl's face, yeah. when he comes in and says, we're not going to run this yeah. yeah. What were they thinking? We're going to have some fun tonight. <laughs> so, I, and I think Adrian became uh, the leading scorer in the NBA those years. I don't know. I can't remember now. It's been so while long ago. Uh, under those years of Nasaki, it kind of kind of expanded everybody's career, you know. Tell people how good Adrian Dantley is. One, he's a Hall of Famer. Two, he might have one of the most unique games in all of basketball because he's a six-five post player. Mm -hmm. That that's not something that, that comes around. Six-four. I, I was giving him an edge. Yeah, he was very unique. You know what he had? He had a quick first step. And uh, uh, he knew how to get into your body. You know, he had some good, he had some, he had a good, a great spin move, you know. Uh, and he had a, a, a nice little set shot. I mean, a jump shot, not a jumper, but he, he would rock you to sleep and he'd shoot a nice little set shot. But his, his, his main thing, he can get you to foul him. He scored a lot of points from the free throw line. I'd have seen, seen him 29 free throws in one game. I don't know how long that game was, but I've seen him put up 29 free throws. He had more game. free throw attempts than shot, know, right, shots right. in the game. I know, right? <laughs> it's something that happened all the time. Do you have an impression of his free throw routine? Did everybody uh, on the team have an impression uh, of what he did? He, I mean, shimmy? he shimmies, rubbing the ball, his shrugging his shoulders, his, his uh, 11 seconds to shoot instead yeah. of 10, you know. <laughs> Somebody told me that it looked very similar to Carl's. Carl Malone. Because they would both talk to the ball. Yeah. And and Adrian kind of was the guy who yeah. taught Carl how to be a pro. Yeah, yeah. Well, Adrian was a he was a he was a, a good person to follow because he had a hell of a routine. Uh, I mean, he, he stayed in the gym, no nightlife. You know, he he really practiced his his trade. You know, and he was good at it. You know. Daryl Griffith, one, he's Dr. Dunkenstein, but people don't know about his shooting. He was a really lethal three-point shooter at a time that people weren't shooting yeah. as many threes. Because I think we got here, wasn't the three-point line here? Put the three-point line in, I think. They put the three-point line in 79. Was it 79? Okay, yeah. they wasn't shooting it then. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he was, I think he broke the record of 90-something in the, yeah. And he had a nice arc to his shot, you know. You know, great shooter, you know. Specialized in the three. Now let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. First guy that gave Michael Jordan forty 
in at the Bulls Stadium. I, I tell my friends this all the time. I said, you don't know who gave. You know, everybody loved Michael Jordan in Chicago. You can't say nothing about Mike in Chicago. But I tell everybody, I said, the guy that gave Mike 40 was Dale Griffith. You know, he gave Michael 40 in Chicago. But I knew he was a stud then. What was that game like? If I can remember, he, he was just doing everything, dunking. Uh, he had a nice finger finger roll and that high-arcing three-point shot. He was deadly with that. You can't block it. No. Because he's going so high and it loops right in. Yeah, and it's 40-inch vertical. With the R2, he, he, he wasn't blocking that. I really, I really ever seen him get a shot blocked, you know. And that worked out on that game against the Mavericks when he hits two three-pointers in seven seconds. And yeah. you have the steal before his buzzer beater. Now, you tested my memory. Now, you know I'm 69 years old. I know, but I, I, know, <laughs> I know you remember I know you remember getting the steal yeah. and passing to Daryl. Yeah, Griff, 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 you know, great three-point shooter. You know, love playing with him. Uh, you know, always had this thing. Harrod always tell me, if you got Griff and Dadley on the wing, depending on what you want, if you need a two, you go to Dadley. If you need a three, you know, go to Griff, you know. But if you need both, and if Griff is not on the way and you go to Downey to get the three-point play, so, you know, Griff was a hell of a shooter. Loved playing with him. How did it all come together in 84 where not only are you guys going to make the playoffs, you had the best record at the break, mm-hmm. at the All-Star break. This is your best year, mm-hmm. at least in the eyes of, of others, because I'm sure there were great years before and after, mm-hmm. but you get recognized as an All-Star. Mm-hmm. How did it all come together there? I think he had, what the team that we had, we had specialists, you know, like I was saying earlier, like Griffith was, was a great three-point shooter. We had the best three-point shooter in the league. I had AD, the best scorer. I had Mark Eaton, the best defensive player, you know, and I was Steele's leader. So we had a combination of a lot of guys that do things really good. So I think that was the, Keaton and us having a, having a good year. We were able to put all that together. How cool was it to see Mark become that? Because it didn't start that way. He's a guy that didn't play at UCLA, only junior college. He was an auto mechanic yeah. before coming to the Jazz. He's so. a huge man. Yeah, he was a big dude. <laughs> so I can remember Mark when he first got to Utah. They used to teach him he couldn't run that well. You know, and he really taught him how to to run while we'd be doing other things. They had Mark Eden doing other things. And that's getting up and down the floor. They really worked on on the shot blocking, you know, uh, the strategies of shot blocking and stuff like that, you know. Uh, Mark was a hell of a shot blocker. I remember we used to play, uh, when we played the Bulls, we would say, okay, we're gonna force Jordan to the baseline. So as he come to the baseline, we would have Thurl Bailey attack one side of the board, and then we have Mark Eden attack the other side of the board. So uh, Frank Frank had had great strategies in getting Mark to, to learn how to run, how to block shots, you know. Because he didn't have to really jump. He had long arms, broad sholdders. You know, he gave guys fits. There was know. that highlight of him just Literally yeah. 
catching it in yeah. the air. Yeah. <laughs> and he yeah. didn't have to move. Didn't have to move, man. Hell of a block, shot block. I think Mike seven four or something. Yeah. Yeah. But people don't really realize how long his arms were. Mm-hmm. You know, so. And plus he's a big man, you couldn't get around him, so. And people always try to challenge him. They, you know, they wanted to. Why didn't people learn? I don't know. They, I mean, they, they didn't know who he was in the beginning. You know what I mean? So he surprised a lot of people. They ain't gonna block my shot, you know. But and he would. He, he would, you know. So, would you challenge him in practice? Never. Yeah, I was gonna say you learned that lesson <laughs> early on. I'm sure. Never. He worked with Phil a lot. Worked with Phil a lot, and yeah. uh, Scott Layton, and they and they really worked on his uh, his coordination and stuff like that. You know. Uh, you know, keeping his hands up and stuff like that. Like I said, we would be doing other drills, and he would be on the side doing his thing. And I think that was very good for him and us. You know, instead of moving around with us, just put him in his own little world and teach him, you know, the, the fundamentals of doing different things. I look at that 84 team. Thurl's a draft pick. Mm-hmm. Mark's a draft pick. Mm-hmm. Daryl's a draft pick. Mm-hmm. Frank traded for AD. Mm-hmm. He got you and Jeff Wilkins out of the CBA. Mm-hmm. For as funny as he is, and everybody knows him as like funny, jovial mm-hmm. Frank Layden, mm-hmm. pretty good evaluator of talent. Yeah, yeah. I think he was uh, the general manager of the year, wasn't he? Uh, Coach of the year. Coach of the year. He knew his talent. He knew what he wanted. You know, so, you know, he had his plan, you know. What was that all-star experience like? Because, again... He's coaching the Western Conference All-Stars because you guys have the best record at the break. AD's with you as an All-Star on the Western Conference team. And then the f- very first slam dunk mm-hmm. competition is Daryl Griffith. Mm-hmm. You got a lot of representation down there. I know. It was fun. I had a great time. Uh, and he also made me a captain. I was shocked. He oh, said, wow. He said, Rick, you're the captain. I said, you know, all these stars out here, magic, and you <laughs> I'm the captain, one of the captains. So, you know, I think, I, I don't know if it was Magic or Kareem, but I was one of the captains. I don't know if he had two or three captains, but he put me out there as one of the captains. So wow. I thought that was pretty neat, you know. What is it, how does that feel to have your coach with all those great players make uh, you one I of know. the captains? Hey. He believed in you. Uh, yeah, I was shocked, but uh, I was happy too at the same time. So Frank was a good person, good guy, you know. Helped my career a lot. You guys make it to the playoffs, and you're mm-hmm. you're playing against the Denver Nuggets, and there's this written piece that becomes bulletin board material. Woody Page says, "Yeah, the Jazz have a fine year, but team doesn't have heart." Right. How did Frank use that as a rallying point? If I could really, Frank just carried that. You know, he put it on the on the bulletin board, and all. he just made it there. Not. We weren't going to do anything. He had the clippings and, the, you know, and he put it on the bulletin board. And we used to look at it all week. And, you know, that gave us a lot of incentive to let people know that we just didn't stumble into the playoffs. We was going to try to do a little damage. So yeah, that was really instrumental to getting us to really dig in and play hard. And not that AD would need any motivation, right. but, like, that that is a rallying point when somebody – really questions uh-huh. what you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah, your heart. Yeah. What was the feeling knowing that you guys not only made the playoffs, but at a time when divisions mattered? 
Mm-hmm. You guys won the Midwest Division. Won that, the division. That had to feel pretty good, too. Yeah, that won the division. And if I can remember, we won the first round of the playoffs. Yep. I can't remember if we got to the second round. I don't remember when we played the second round. Phoenix. Played Phoenix, and we lost two to four or something like that. Yeah, in six games. Six games. So we had a pretty good year. We were happy about it. We just wanted to get out that first round. We just didn't want to be like, a, you know, have a winner division and all that and then – you know, don't win the first round. So we really wanted to dig in and at least, you know, make some noise. Do you still have that ring for you winning the Midwest? I don't have that ring. Oh, no, where is it? I don't know. I got to ask my brother. He had all my jewelry. <laughs> Just big kid. No. no, but I I know we had a, a purple ring, and I don't have it. I need to find out how I can get that ring again. I'm sure Scott or Frank has <laughs> has some extras. I'm going to Jeff. Did Jeff have his ring? I don't know. I, I haven't talked yeah. to Jeff just yet. Ask Jeff, did he get news to have his ring? Because Frank made a big deal about yeah, getting you made, guys yeah, rings. Yeah, get his rings and stuff. That was really nice. Because there was a heart on it, right? It was a heart on it, yep. yeah. Purple, I remember. Yeah, yeah. nice ring. You got to find that I ring. I got to look for that ring, man. Yeah, <laughs> I just reminded you to start looking for that ring. I'm going to look for that ring. Well, I hope I helped you finding your ring because... <laughs> I'm going to look for it. You were the fastest of them all. Mm-hmm. Oh, last, last thing. Tell me about that photo shoot with you with the race car. You know what? And I still got the poster, the picture. That okay. I got it up at my house. Nice. You know, my, my buddies love that poster. But, but that's, that's <laughs> yeah, Hot Rod. That's Hot One, Rod. giving you the name, yep. and two. It's the, the fastest of them all. I still have a great friend who calls me that now. Oh, nice. He, he called me the fastest of them all. They never catch him. Shout out to Hot Rod. <laughs> Shout out to Hot Rod. Famous hot. He's going to find his ring. He's got to go. He is the fastest of them all. Ricky Green on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Ricky, appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for having me.